I just sat through your anti-relational voicemail because I have the best news ever. I'm doing a podcast. Oh my goodness, I'm dying right now. It's called Recovering. Okay, bye. Give me your strength and show me your weakness. We're in this together now. We're in this together now. Give me your love and tell me your secrets. Cause we're in this together now. Yeah, we're in this together now. Well, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Recovering Podcast. I am your host, Jennifer Dawn Watts, and I am a therapist. I am a person in recovery myself, and I am also a pastor. Well, I'm retired now, uh, but I was a pastor for a long time, and I started some 12-step faith communities. And so now I'm doing a podcast, and if you listen to the last one, you will know that this is new for me. Um, And I'm hoping that that will encourage you to do whatever it is that you're called to do. Uh, Usually when we're called to do something different, it's scary, and I wish you could see me before I press record. It's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. I'm pretty sure I get a frog in my throat every single time, and um, I make really hot coffee because I try to, like, burn it out of my throat. (laughs) So... It's just, it's not good. And I mean, I don't know what other people do. Maybe they listen to music that pumps them up or I, I really don't know, but I'm coughing and it's, it's all very stressful. So if you're trying to do something different, I'm just hoping that this inspires you. It's not easy, but it's good. There's something about just doing it, just doing what we're called to do. And you're helping me by being here that I'm learning right in front of you. So, of course, there's temptation to just go back into my office and do what I'm better at. And, you know, the topic today is going to be about being real. And I've realized that this is part of being real for me, uh, speaking and saying what I believe. And being in the therapy office, I think that it's comfortable for me because other people are getting real in front of me. Yes, as a therapist, I've had to practice being more authentic, and that helps other people to grow. But for the most part, the person in the hot seat is the one coming in to see me. So today, I'm the one in the hot seat. I'm here uh, just with a microphone. There's the frog in my throat again. <clears throat> I wonder if it's anxiety. I, I, I'm sure that there's something psychological about that. But here we go. And of course, there's temptation to start over, etc. But part of recovering for me is about recovering from perfectionism. I think that ego would have us have everything be perfect and it's like a show and there's some sort of safety in that, Uh, but I can't preach about being real without being authentic in front of you. I mean, I just think that I would know again that I'm hiding and so that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean to be real? How do you know when you're being real? How do you get more real? So let's do it. So first of all, Uh, Real is rare. I have been looking around for it in the world uh, when I started to see it in myself and I started to be shown what that really looks like. um, I've realized that it is not something that's common. 
And so the moments that I see it, I am like, yes, that is someone truly being authentic. But it is so uncommon. And I think that solving some of the problems that we have boils down to, are we willing to be who we really are? Because when we are, things fall into place. We start doing the things that we're called to do and we're less afraid and problems get solved. Relationships are healthier. Uh, A lot of what isn't meant to be happening in the world stops because we're not doing that anymore. Uh, So I think it's very, very important, but I think that it's rare. The places I've seen it uh, are in therapy when people are paying me. It's very safe. And even in the beginning, people aren't rare in therapy or people aren't real in therapy. Uh, They will be paying me and they will realize that they're holding back on certain things because they think as their therapist, I'm expecting certain things of them. And so they want me to approve of them. They don't want to lose the relationship. And so they won't be fully honest, even with their therapist. And it takes time to build that trust for people to realize that I'm safe. And I'm not perfectly safe. I don't think anyone is. But it's like we take these little trials with people, right? We, we have these little tests. And sometimes we do it unconsciously uh, or subconsciously. I don't know what even the right word would be for that. But we don't really consciously do the test. And sometimes we do. Uh, but when people test me and they see how I react, they start to realize I'm safe. And then they start to share more. So therapy is a place I've seen people getting real. But I don't know. I mean, it counts on some level because it's happening, but it's in an office where where you're paying somebody. Um, I've seen it in 12 step meetings, especially with newcomers. Uh, When people are in a lot of pain, there comes a point where they can't wear their mask anymore and who they really are just bursts through. And I love when that happens. You can tell when somebody's being real, when they're crying, when they're talking, And often they'll apologize for that. And I just feel like saying, don't apologize. Like, please don't apologize because there's a lot of courage in that moment. But they're also saying something to us. They're saying, I trust you enough to show you who I really am and what I really feel. And that's powerful. And that when that moment happens, everybody leans in. So if I'm at a meeting and that happens, People stop shifting around in their chairs. They're not kind of fiddling with their phone. They, they lean in and they're listening. You know, that person has everyone's attention. And that energy from their heart calls to the other hearts in the room and it helps us to be brave. We want to start telling our truth. So I've seen it at meetings. I definitely see it to some extent. I think that we have to use um, like a spectrum for real because I don't think it's an either or. So I've seen people getting more real at meetings than in other places in the world. And that's why I love meetings because it helps me to practice, uh, but I also get to do it with other people. I've seen it in some site groups I've been a part of where we've been encouraged to be more authentic. I think if the leader is more authentic, that helps. It's a form of modeling, and so we follow suit. Um, And then I just see it in these other moments. I see it in these moments when, uh, when someone is singing and they sing from their soul, and we all get kind of emotional about that. I get emotional thinking about it. That's real. That's that person being who they really are. So that's the goal. That's where we're trying to get to. And um, all of my work 
the idea of recovering, the point is to recover, to get real. And the word recovery has been usually associated with addictions. And I think that's true. On, on one hand, we're getting better. We get really sick when we're lost in our addictions. And so we're getting better. That is part of recovery. But I like the idea that the word recover means to get something back. And I, I was thinking, what are we getting back? And I think we're getting back our birthright to be who we are. That's been given to us. And each person, the way that they're created is so interesting to me. And this idea, I, I don't know about your background, but I was you know, brought up with Christian values and I became a Christian officially when I was 19. But in my family and in the church, there was this idea that we are sinners. And if we can just accept that, uh, I guess that would be step one in the church. And so there was this idea that if I could just hate myself enough and just own my stuff enough and just point out my flaws enough, that somehow I was being good. Um, and I don't think that's actually true. I don't think hating on ourselves and pointing out our flaws is all that real. I think that sometimes that's another way that ego can be cunning, baffling, and powerful. And if I point out my stuff, then, oh, I look like a good person. See how guilty I am? <laughs> you know, see how much I hate myself? I really own my stuff. Um, but I don't think that's entirely what real is all about. And so recovery for me, even as a Christian, and I, I hesitate to use that word because I know that people have a lot of different ideas of what that means. So let's just say here we say Christian as we understand it. You know, in 12-step they say higher power as you understand it. Let's just say Christian as you understand it. But how I understand Christianity and how I've recovered as a Christian has been to understand that who I really am deep, deep, deep down in my core is light and good and immortal diamond and unique and created and created for a purpose. And so when I'm doing all of that, that is what real is. And one of the words that gets confused with real is vulnerable. I've heard that word used a lot. And I don't know, I, I, I'm just not vibing with that word because vulnerable means you're at risk, like something bad could happen to you. And I get the idea that, yes, on some level, we could be hurt. You could hurt me. The more real I am here, the more that you could hurt me because I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not trying to be something that I'm not. I'm, I'm trying to be myself. Um, but I don't think you can harm me. I don't think we can be harmed. Again, I believe that we're a mortal diamond inside. And there's something actually very powerful about being real and being integrated when my insides match my outsides and um, I'm being a channel, a vessel for good and that light is shining through me and I'm grounded in my own space and I'm just telling my truth. I'm released from a lot of those other noisy things that try to stop me from doing that. So yes, I think that it feels vulnerable I think that's one way that you'll know that you're being real. It feels risky. It feels vulnerable. But that doesn't mean that you are vulnerable. You may be hurt. You may have your buttons pointed out to you. I love my supervisor. He will say, be thankful when someone pushes your buttons. 
because they're showing you where the buttons are. So that may come up for you and that might feel vulnerable, but so what? So you have to do some work in therapy. You have to do some work in recovery. You have to find some new friends. Um, but yeah, I don't think that we are vulnerable and I like to make that distinction. Um, when we're becoming more real, we also learn to see better. We have eyes to see. And so as we're healing and as we're working through those buttons, we start to see what is true. And the healthier I've gotten, the more authentic I've gotten, uh, I start to see that when people are doing those things to me, if I'm trying to be real and something's happening for them and they're biting back or they're poking at me or they're saying things, I've started to see that that's their stuff. That's about them. And I know that people will say that. They're, oh, that's not about you. That's about them. People said that to me for a long time. I couldn't see it and I couldn't feel it until I did more of my own work. So I don't like to say to people, oh, you know, just don't worry about that. That's their stuff because, yeah, that's great. But, but it still feels terrible when it's happening. But the more that you integrate into who you really are, the more you will really visibly see someone else getting into their stuff and that you can hand it right back to them. And that's very powerful. So I think we'll be hurt less the more we integrate and we can again see what is theirs and what is ours. And when I see what's mine, it doesn't affect me in the same way that it once did. I see, oh, okay, I'm getting defensive right now. Hmm, what's that about? That's interesting. I was at a, a racism talk yesterday all day and I wanted to go because I know being a white person, I am a person that is racist and I, I just know that I've been raised with it and I've been in a lot of situations that has reinforced that, but I don't often know what to do about it. And I've gotten some books recently and I've tried to have some conversations, but those conversations often don't feel real to me. They feel like ego talking with ego. And so I was at this course yesterday and they had some good information, um, but I could feel myself getting snippy and defensive and my own ego bullshit coming up. And I thought, hmm, that's so interesting. And in the past, I wouldn't have seen that. I would have just done it and I would have thought that's just being me, but it's not. It's my ego getting in the way of something. So it's helpful the more that we practice this because we can own our stuff more easily. And so I'm on a journey and I, I want to learn and I want to be exposed to my own racism and I want to heal and I want this world to heal. Um, and I, I just have to sift through that because it's a really sensitive subject. And, you know, they talked about white fragility yesterday. And at first I was really defensive. And then I thought, I am fragile around this. I think I'm fragile in a lot of ways. And so what do I do about that? And do I uh, remain fragile, you know, in the areas that I've been hurt? Do I hide from the world? No, I've got to work through it. I've got to keep going to meetings. I've got to go talk to my therapist. I've got to talk to some of my friends. Um, but it's nice to be given the eyes to see. I think that's what will come up and it will be easier to own your stuff, your side of the street, 
because I see that that's what I have control over. I don't have control over everybody else's side of the street. And again, people could have told me that a hundred times before, but it's just part of this journey. And I think that me talking about what's real and talking about recovering will help people get there faster. That's my hope. You're still going to have to do the work, but if I can show you some of the things that people have shown me, I think it will be easier. I think we can do this together quicker than some of the ways that other people before us have had to figure it out. So another thing about real is that um, it is more difficult than it seems. (laughs) So um, it is complex. I see where Uh, I may think that I have it and I don't. Usually when I think that I have it, I don't. And so, but not always. Again, that's where it's complex because there's sometimes where I'll know that I've been real and it's true, I have been real. But there's something about people believing that they're authentic and often they're not. And so, again, the whole crying thing makes it obvious, but it's not only when we're crying that we're being real. Uh, the singing example that I gave you when somebody sings from their soul, when we're laughing and we're having fun, I'm being more real. I've, I've been released from a lot of ego crap. Um, but not always, not always when we're having fun. So um, here's some, some examples that I can think of that have helped me. So there were times when I thought that I was being honest in my relationships because I'm like, I'm finally going to tell them how I really feel and just give them a piece of my mind. When I'm really driven to do something, that's usually ego. So I was not driven to make this podcast. I'm terrified of making this podcast. I mean, I really wish it wasn't true. I really wish that something so silly like this, just turning on a microphone and talking to you, whoever wants to listen. It's not like I have to go into a TED Talk or something. It's only going to be the people that want to try to listen to what I have to say. And if they don't like it, they can shut it off. It's not a big deal but it freaks me out. And so if I'm really driven to do something like a family member, like I'm going to give them a piece of my mind, I'm going to tell them how I really feel. That's usually ego. That's not being honest. So instead, when we're going to have a conversation with someone, if we know that there's something that we need to say, and it's a nagging feeling, like you have to have that conversation, and usually you don't want to have it, and you don't want to hurt their feelings, and so you're very cautious when you start to share, that's more honest. Because your soul isn't, doesn't attack. It is kind, actually, and and loves and and lets go and doesn't get attached. So um, when you're willing to have those difficult conversations, but you find yourself proceeding with caution, that's usually a time that we're trying to be more authentically us. Um, If we have an identity that we're attached to, um, basically that's, that's not honest either. So if I become the girl that is all about being real, well, now that's just another mask, right? That's not gonna work. So it's tricky. And so I've seen things where speakers will tell a story that seems like it's very vulnerable about their life, but they're doing it because that's part of their mask. They want to be seen as someone who is vulnerable. 
And so if you have a story that you're trying to tell because you think people will like you better if you tell it or basically real is not calculated. So I have been through a divorce and there's a lot of stress and really messy things about that. And I've thought about, you know, should I share that with people or how do I share that with people? There are moments when me saying I'm divorced and I'm a single mom is very helpful to the situation. It's called disclosure and therapy, but basically we will disclose something about ourselves if we think it will be helpful to the client. And there are moments in my life where I'll share something about that piece. You know, my um, ex-husband at the moment only has supervised visits. And something about hearing that can be really helpful to people because suddenly I'm more human and I'm not with this mask of therapist or having my stuff together. I'm not that person that people want to be like or admire that have their stuff together. I'm just like you, maybe even struggling worse. And there's a comfort in that. That being said, if I plan a talk for this podcast and I do a whole episode on my divorce because I think that it will get a lot of listeners and it'll be passed around or something, and I have some sort of a motive like that, that's not real. That's my ego again coming up with a plan to get likes. So I think that we just have to be careful in terms of when we think that we're being authentic or just be careful. That's all I can say. It is complex. And it's true even in recovery. You know, I I will notice that there are people who have been in recovery who they are more authentic than they've ever been you know, to be sitting around a table telling their truth of their story, that's a big step for them. However, you know, becoming Chad C with 16 years sobriety and rattling off a bunch of things about when you were drunk, not necessarily authentic. That can become a mask. So just because we're telling our story, it doesn't mean that we're being honest. Um, Try to think about the things that you're most afraid to say. For me, the way that I practice is just about practicing and practicing and practicing. So one of the ways I practice is when I'm at a meeting and I'm doing recovery, I if I notice myself thinking about what I want to share when someone else is talking, that's not good. So I really watch for that. I try to just listen. I remember I'm, in a, I'm a soul in recovery, just like everyone else at this table. I get spiritually sick, just like everyone else. And just for today, I want to be well. I want to be better. I want to be more free. So shut up and listen and just try to hear if one of these souls can carry the message to you. And then when it comes around to me, I try not to pass. Um, For me to pass would be a false humility. Like, oh, I'm just going to listen for today. Um, There's something in that for me that I realize I have this opportunity right now at this meeting for three minutes to try to come clean and to try to tell my truth. And so that's what I try to do. And um, doing my own therapy is also part of it because it's not just at meetings. I have to make an appointment when I'm struggling. And again, I think I have this one hour. I have to tell the truth about what's going on for me. And sometimes you just need a safe space to hear yourself talk for a while. Sometimes you will start to hear your own soul and get in touch with yourself if you have a safe enough space, especially for me. 
I'm an external processor, but I think that that's probably true for a lot of us, is that if we have a place where we can start to talk, um, my old sponsor used to say, sometimes you just have to hear yourself say it. And so it's practice. Even though real is complex, uh, and even though it can make us feel vulnerable, uh, if we're willing to practice, it does get easier. We become more integrated. So why are we doing this? Why are we doing all this? Is it because we want to be a good person? No. So I gave that up a while ago. I think, like I told you before, I think we're already good. So it's not to be a good person. Uh, some people do it because they want to stay sober. Um, and I don't think that's a bad reason. Uh, for me, I like to feel good. <laughs> that's the truth. That's the truth. So I want to feel better. I don't like feeling like crap. And my litmus test for feeling like crap is really sensitive. I've learned that. I have a very high bottom uh, compared to some people. Some people have a low bottom and they can feel like shit for a long time before they have to make any changes. That's not true for me. I start to feel a little bit crappy and I want to feel better. And so this is a selfish program, right? Recovering is selfish. I want to feel better. And when I'm being real, it is self-reinforcing. The more I am myself, it feels really, really good. And I feel alive and I feel free. I'm happy that I've conquered pressing record one more time, that something isn't stopping me from doing that. I'm happy that I can try to carry the message to you today and share what I've learned and that hopefully people would take a bigger leap in terms of becoming who they really are and not have to take the path that I've had to take. Uh, maybe it'll be easier for them. Um, but there's a lot of moments where I notice that it feels good to be real. And so I think that's why people are obsessed with sex because I think that those are times when we can be more real. We can be more of ourselves. It's hard to wear a mask when you're naked. <laughs> you, know, you can do it. Lots of people do it all the time, but it's harder. And so when we try to be vulnerable that way, we start to see ourselves. When you are loving someone and giving to them and caring for them and trying to make them feel good, and when you're allowing yourself to feel good, that's real. And so that's one example. But um, like I said about the singing, that's another example. Um, it also happens with other people. And when other people are being real and we're being real, so I think about times when earlier in my church background, when we would be singing worship and people would just forget about themselves. Eventually they would forget about themselves. And it wasn't always at church. You know, there was times when people would have a guitar and there was a bunch of us. And, oh, I miss these times. I get tears in my eyes just thinking about it. But people would forget about themselves and they would be singing and they would be worshiping what is true and good and beautiful. And that's who we are. We're being ourselves in those moments. And so... We're getting real to feel better, but we're also getting real to experience intimacy, true intimacy. That's where we're going with this. Because if other people can also be real around you, that intimacy is like 
there's, it's very hard to describe, but you'll know what I mean. I'm sure you know what I mean. So intimacy isn't sex. It is that space where I'm being real and you're being real and there's something happening between us. And it fills us up. I think our souls need that. And I think that the reason that people use whatever you use to medicate is because we're starving for that. If we could see our souls, I think if that's part of their food, many of them would look emaciated. And so we hide and we wear masks and we medicate and we isolate. And recovering is about reversing that. Recovering is about experiencing those times of real fellowship. And I think that's why people drink. Because there's a chance when we drink that we can't keep up the game as long. We can't hide as much and our truth starts to come out. And we even do silly things around each other and it's okay. When we realize, oh, I did silly things and you still accept me. Um, that's powerful. It creates safety and we can keep going with this. So I don't think you have to drink. I don't think you have to necessarily sing worship songs. That's where I've experienced it powerfully. Um, but I think that there's other spaces, lots of other spaces where we can do this. So that's where we're going with all of this. That's my hope is that we're going to get more real. We're going to recognize when we are being real, when we're not. And that as more of us continue to do this, we will experience that fellowship that intimacy, that quinonia, that's the word that I've learned that it, it is. And our souls will be fed and nourished and we can do this even more. And so I think that gathering is really important. So we're going to talk about that next time. But here's your homework this time. So homework. First of all, and I love homework, by the way, I'm going to sign it. You don't have to do it, but I love it. I loved when I was in courses with my supervisor and he'd say, okay, this week, watch for this. That really helped me. So here's your homework. Try to notice the moments when you're being real. Just pay attention. Try to watch for them in the coming days, coming weeks, coming months. Watch for when you're being real. Also, try to notice who you're with. I can do this now here today, partly because I've had other people help me along the way. So Cloud and Townsend, they're these Christian psychologists. They've written all these books, millions of copies sold, boundaries this, blah, blah, blah. They have a whole boundary series, but they have a bunch of other books, how people grow, difficult conversations you've been meaning to have, blah, blah, blah. They're, they know a lot. They get paid a lot to speak. Someone asked them one time, out of everything that you've learned, everything, what's the most important? And they said, we need each other. That was their answer. We need each other. So it's good that you're doing this. It's good that you're working on your recovery journey. But try to pay attention to who you're with when it's happening. They're helping you. They're part of your recovery journey. So the 12 steps start with we. All of them start with we, not I. And they start with we for a reason, because we need each other. So that's the episode for today. 
all about being real. I look forward to hearing from you. If you want to write in, you can go to my website, jenniferdonwatts.com and submit your questions on the connect page. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this journey. Thanks for being here. Well, I hope you heard something today that keeps you coming back. In closing, I want to remind you, like any good sponsor would, that to keep it, we have to give it away. If I want to stay well, I have to get outside of myself, and the same goes for you. So, who do you know that needs this? Pass it on. Another way to carry the message is to host a meeting. It's easy, it only takes an hour, and in 12-step, if you can read, you can lead. For more info on that, go to qfaithcommunity.com. Thank you for letting me share with you today, and thank you for helping in my recovery. Let's do this together, one day at a time. Yeah, we're in this together now.